AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. We've heard from the ethanol industry about ethanol to jet. Now let's hear from corn growers and what it means for them. COP28 is wrapped up. We'll get a report from a presenter in the animal agriculture track. And how is the pork industry dealing with Prop 12? We'll take a look at some of the evidence. Live from the very brink of guarded prosperity via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Harold Woolley from the National Corn Growers Association. Then it's Dr. Frank Mittlerner from UC Davis. And later, Dave Delaney from Partners for Production Agriculture. Directly following the news, Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. And now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Hey, thank you so much, buddy. Did you notice? It, maybe it didn't arrive for you too hard last night, but winter got here last night. It got it a little was chilly cold. here. Was it cold? <laughs> yeah, it was cold. Okay. I got it. Yeah. Um, Lower teens, the wind was just a blowing, yeah, like crazy for a while, you know, until late night. Uh, but uh, this morning it's calm, we're starting to warm up already, oh, uh-huh. things are looking better, and we're gonna mm-hmm. be, you know, we we continue to get these above normal weather for uh, temperatures in, in the outlook, and they are verifying, mm-hmm. they are verifying, so absolutely. Well, yeah. and we are. I mean, just days away from deep, dark, actual calendar winter. Yeah. That's so right. I guess we're on borrowed time, brother, oh, the way I see absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Welcome to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. That is Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, are you sure that we've got all those people on the show that you listed off on, on the one show? Just on the one show. Yeah. Just now on the, t- this morning show. I will. Uh, okay. Okay. Philosophically, you want to drag me down this road? We don't know what the future holds, Chip. You know, we have no idea. However, if everything goes according to plan, yes, yeah, we got a heck of a lineup here. We've got a lot to talk about, no Dude. question. Yeah, no question. We got uh, Mittlerner too, just back right. from COP twenty-eight. Yeah, and his his response to the request to have him back on yesterday. Was mm-hmm. very enthusiastic. Uh, he said that there is a lot to talk about, and a lot has happened since he was last on. And he was last on December fifth. Yeah, so, it's not that long ago at all. No, it was no, just earlier right. this month. Yeah, and yeah. I think Mittlerner isn't that French for enthusiasm. <laughs> I think it might be. I don't. I'll have to check. We'll check I, during the break. Check that out during the break. Yeah, we'll Let's check. get to the news. Well, we've got to start with this USDA daily export sale. They reported 132,000 metric tons of soybeans sold to unknown destinations in the 23-24 marketing year, Chip. We had eight days in a row, took a break yesterday, and back on the boat today. So hopefully we can keep the string, build another string of sales. Well, the National Weather Service weather outlook calls for a slight risk of excessive rainfall over parts of central and southern California today. Lake effect snow downwind of the lower Great Lakes and upslope snow (laughs) over parts of the central Appalachians again. 
Rain for most of the West Coast. I think the upslope snow button is stuck for the Central it Appalachians. Be. It's like it two be. weeks now, every day you with know, the upslope snow. Yeah, you, you ought to make a trip over there just to see what that upslope snow is all about. I think I owe it to the listeners to, to go do. get lost in the Appalachians for a while. <laughs> Seems like a good idea. Well, Chip, the U.S. will create a multinational naval force called Operation Prosperity Guardian to protect merchant ships in the Red Sea. This in response to Houthi rebel attacks that have jeopardized the Suez Canal. That's a crucial role in global trade. The security operation will involve countries such as the U.K., Bahrain, France, Norway, and others. The Suez Canal has recently become a new focal point in the Israel-Hamas conflict, with global shipping companies being the primary targets. Shipping in the Red Sea is grinding to a halt, and LNG vessels yeah. are beginning to reroute to take considerably longer journeys. Cost. Uh, we talked about it with Ken Erickson yesterday morning. All this is is adding to the cost of moving products that consumers need around the world. Well, Chip, European natural gas futures experienced a significant drop of nearly 8%, falling below 33 pounds per megawatt hour on Tuesday. Or is that euros? I think that's 33 euros. Yeah, euro. A little similar. This reversal followed a 7% increase in the previous session. Investors seem to overlook concerns related to shipping disruptions and instead focused on the presence of ample gas supplies and mild temperatures. Mm -hmm. The European Union and the United States agreed to extend a truce on steel and aluminum imports, preventing the reintroduction of tariffs on transatlantic trade. The European Commission, the EU's executive branch, announced that retaliatory measures implemented during the Trump administration will be suspended for 15 months. Senators are reportedly facing challenges in reaching a consensus on immigration reform, and this impasse is affecting the progress of aid packages for both Israel and Ukraine. According to Senate Minority Whip John Thune of South Dakota, it is unlikely the Senate will be able to vote yeah. on an immigration deal this week. Chip, um, let me just throw this log on that campfire. The 118th Congress currently on track to be one of the least productive in modern history with just a few dozen laws on the books at the close of 2023. Well, that's what that narrow majority uh, in, in the House is going to do to you. Well, in the Senate mm -hmm. as well. And, and now we've got senators digging in their heels over immigration quickly here let me make sure i get this out usda ag producers can now enroll in the farm service agency's ag risk coverage and price loss coverage programs for 2024 producers can make election changes and enroll for the 2024 crop year starting today uh the enrollment deadline set for march 15 2024 chip excellent thank you davis let's bring in karen bonert the editorial director there at Farm Journal's Milk. Good morning, Karen. Hello, Chip. Hey, talk to me about uh, dairy replacement heifers. How's the numbers look? Well, it depends on if you're looking to buy or sell. Okay. You know, coming off of our milk production report that was released yesterday afternoon, 44,000 fewer head compared to year over year. And earlier this year, we were at 3.65 million head. And that's the lowest number, Chip, that we've been in two decades. So we don't have a lot of cattle out there, and extra heifers are hard to find. It's because producers have tightened up management practices mm -hmm. and, as you know, accelerated beef on dairy programs. So there's not a lot, of, a lot of cattle out there right now. Right. Yeah, they're, the, the, the breeding programs have always been sophisticated on a dairy. But <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now, Karen, I, I mean, it is layer upon layer upon layer 
you know what you're going to have for replacement heifers on your farm. What you don't know is if you could go someplace and find any extras that you might need. Well, and the problem is, yes, dairies have become more efficient. You know, that's the name of the game. But if there's any, you know, health issue on a farm or at a calf ranch that makes you be in a deficit for cattle coming into the pipeline, future milk coming in the pipeline, those cattle are at premium price. Uh, Turlock Livestock's uh, auction yards out in California, Jersey fresh heifers sold for $2,700. And those, um, a lot of them are going to the Midwest bound. So that's another 100 or 150 of freight added on. That's an expensive cattle. So um, some people are kicking themselves in the rear that they should have bought cattle when they were cheap earlier this year or last year. Yeah. Well, it's always easy to look back and decide that it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what? Hindsight's twenty twenty. But this is a bright spot for dairy, especially people like my husband who have some cattle to sell. Yeah. It adds a nice uh, profit line to the bottom end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was part of the conversation that we had out in Vegas at Milk Business Conference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good stuff, absolutely. Karen. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Chip. Yeah, get more on that story at www.dairyherd.com. Okay, coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Harold Woolley. He is the president of the National Corn Growers right here on Ag. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. We don't make the news, we render it. Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are with us on this Tuesday morning, and we are glad that Harold Woolley, president of the National Corn Growers Association, is with us as well. Good morning, Harold. How are you? Good morning, Chip. I'm doing well. You know, I had my hip replaced on friday so oh it's been an interesting weekend but every day i'm i'm getting more mobile and uh you know pheasant hunting season ends on uh january 1st so i'd sure like another rooster for the pot hey that's a great goal to set for you right there plus you got plenty of traveling in the year ahead coming up here buddy you give me i i hope they got that thing in their square well, you know, I have confidence in my doctor, so I'm sure yep. it's all going to be be okay. Yep, yep, no doubt, no doubt. How's the weather up there in Minnesota? You know, it's kind of a gray December, but it sure is warm. So looking at looking at rain on Christmas Day, so no white Christmas for us. Right, right. We're going to be the same way here in Northeast Iowa. At least uh, that is the forecast. Let's jump into this here, Harold. You. We had uh, Troy Bredenkamp from the Renewable Fuels Association on the show yesterday morning. 
talking about the Treasury Department's decision to use a modified version of the GREEP model in determining corn-based ethanol's place in line, I guess, in the sustainable aviation fuel marketplace, uh, using ethanol as a feedstock for SAF. This is this is exactly what we wanted, isn't it, Harold? Well, it has to be considered a win, Chip. You know, if they'd have went with the IKO model, that European model that does not allow for feedstocks that could alternately be used for food, we'd have, we'd have been out of the picture. So yeah. um, there's going to be more hurdles that we have to cross in this process. This was the first one, and I think we got across it. So very happy for that announcement. Yeah. The, the one thing that Troy said a couple of times that, you know, raised my or elevated my concern over this process going forward is that there could be some modifications to that model going forward. Uh, we still don't have all of the details, but the the way things are setting up, um, as you said, we've got to consider it a win. Now, how big of a win might this be, Harold? Well, as you know, that uh, aviation fuel market is a tremendously huge market, and they are considered to be some pretty significant carbon emitters. So if we're going to be serious about reducing the amount of carbon that we uh, emit into the atmosphere in this world, something has to be done with aviation fuel. So there's a tremendous amount of potential there. Um, But, yeah, we have some hurdles to cross to get there. Yeah, we talked. Uh, we we also talked about this decision yesterday afternoon with Pete Meyer from Muddy Boots Ag, and his bottom line on this. And I want to see if this lines up with your attitude on this as well, Harold. Uh, but his bottom line is that the effort to get ethanol into the jet fuel market is going to start on on individual farms. It, it, it starts even before the ethanol plant and looking at that carbon intensity score on a, on a farm by farm basis. Um, I think there's some truth in that without a doubt, you know, if we're going to get the carbon intensity of ethanol lowered to where it fits into the sustainable aviation fuel, it's going to have to be a system wide effort. We're going to have to do everything we can on our farms when we grow this corn to to sequester carbon and to not emit excess carbon. And then our plants are going to have to be run efficiently so that their carbon intensity scores are low, too. It's everybody's going to have to work on this. Yeah. Yeah. And if uh, if you are not familiar with that carbon intensity score at this point. Uh, it's time to get up to speed on exactly what it is, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. This is uh, this is a part of that society is focusing on. You know, yeah. climate change is a big deal for a lot of folks, and and it's very real for them, and they want to see some changes made. So yeah. we need to participate in that. Well, and and the thing is here, Harold, it, it in this case in particular. There is the, there is the potential for a premium price to be paid for delivering the right product to the right ethanol plant at the right time 
to participate in what could be a $1.75 per gallon tax credit on this sustainable aviation fuel. It it could pay off for you handsomely. There is a potential there. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, and but then on the other side, you know, if we want to take a negative view of demand for corn, we'd okay. say uh, liquid fuels markets going to diminish greatly. Electric vehicles are going to go forward. What are we going to do to replace that lost demand? So, you know, I think it's a combination of, yeah, there could be some rewards for the folks who participate in lowering the carbon intensity score of corn. Mm-hmm. But overall, our industry needs to have this demand. You know, we're looking right now at a two plus billion bushel carryover. And if we have good weather and we grow the kind of crops we're capable of, that's only going to increase. So, um, you know, demand creation is the big picture that we need to be thinking about too. Amen. Amen. Yep. Boy, we could talk about that all for the rest of our our time here, Harold. But I I feel like we need to move on because I haven't heard much of an update about Moroccan fertilizer tariffs for a while. What what is the status on on that situation? You know, this is a complicated situation with yeah. several different agencies that, that have their fingers in the pie. You know, in November, as part of a yearly administrative review, the U.S. Department of Commerce announced it was lowering duties that had been placed on phosphate fertilizers imported from Morocco from 19.97% down to 2.12%. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, the Department of Commerce and the International Trade Commission are working on a new subsidy rate as ordered by the remand issued from the Court of International Trade, which cited flawed analysis in determining the original duties for Moroccan phosphate imports. So, you know, we had we got the the duties lowered, but going forward, we're going to have to have to have them lord again you know we need low duties we need to be able to import that moroccan fertilizer yeah yeah okay odds of of finishing the job on that well i think they're pretty good um you know since the original cases were presented a lot has changed in the world of fertilizer you know we had we we went through a price of high went through a period of high corn prices and subsequently high fertilizer prices and now we've rolled over and they're going down um they need to reassess this and you know i think we need to be able to to have a significant supply of phosphate fertilizers yeah. in this country okay. to meet the needs for for our production okay you know, I'm going to take us back to biofuels, Harold. I, I feel like I have to because of the Flex Fuel Fairness Act that was, um, I believe it was introduced by Miller Meeks out of Iowa and Craig out of Minnesota. Uh, what What's the, the corn growers stand on the Flex Fuel Fairness Act? Uh, you know, we need to get 
we need to be able to sell E15 as an industry year round. Um, Our consumers are demanding it. You know, in Minnesota, we just passed a a law last year, the legislature did, that requires reporting. Stations need to report their sales in. And we see month over month gains in in consumer purchases of E15 marketed as unleaded 88. So consumers want it. We are, our marketers want to be able to sell it year round. This has to happen. So that, you know, I think there's three ways that, that it can happen. And the best mm-hmm. is a legislative fix, what you were talking about. And it's mm-hmm. been introduced in both the, the House and the Senate. So that that's one way. You know, the other way is the eight Midwestern governors send yeah. a letter to the EPA requesting that they be allowed to sell it. Well, EPA needs to act on that. Um, that may be forthcoming as well. The oil companies don't like that because it would require a higher base grade of gasoline to be blended with the ethanol during the summer months. They don't want to deal with uh, sending different grades of gasoline to different states. And and I think everybody understands that that is not the preferred method. Right. The third way is to have the EPA and the, and the administration once again grant waivers. Yeah every 20 days throughout the summer. Well, <laughs> I don't think that's a sustainable system. So, you know, number one is get this legislative fix across the left, across the finish line. I love that. I love that. Harold, great job this morning. Appreciate it. Um, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, hopefully we'll talk before I see you down at Houston at Commodity Classic. If not, we'll see you down in Houston, okay? Sounds good. Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners. All right. That's Harold Woolley. He is the president of the National Corn Growers Association. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beach. the buyers were in the soy complex yesterday. Today, the sellers are leaning in. What's going on? Yeah, well, it's a weather market, Chip, and and uh, Brazil is in uh, line for some rains. Whether or not those will help, uh, some you know, some of the areas they won't. Uh, they've just been too dry for too long and and uh, these rains are coming too late uh, but do, forecasts do offer uh, hopes for some rains through central and northern uh, areas of uh, brazil and as a result uh, the market's under pressure and, and uh, you know weather markets are weather markets uh, they can be fickle and and weather is trumping demand at this point in time because we did have a daily soybean sale to unknown destinations for 23 24 marketing year this morning yeah, sellers are into the meal market too. A little soybean oil under a little bit of pressure, but not too bad there. And wheat is getting back some of yesterday's losses. What's happening? Well, uh, wheat's it's just up on corrective gains, but okay. uh, the dollar's helping there. So it, the dollar's more than 450 points lower at the moment. So that's helping out a little bit. The problem on that front is that uh, we just aren't going to see any kind of real meaningful export demand because of, of a day-to-day uh, weakness in the the dollar here. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Follow through buying to the follow through buying in the live cattle market. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Cattle complex. Uh, so moderate yeah. to strong gains in feeders. They're leading to the upside, but live cattle are participating. So, uh, you know, this uh, this corrective rebound, uh, you know, it started more than a week ago and, and has continued now. And uh, so it really looks like lows are in place in, the, in that market. And now uh, maybe the, the strength in the futures will perk up the cash market, uh, which has dropped for six consecutive weeks. Uh, we're seeing weakness in the uh, hog market here at uh, mid-morning as they pull back from uh, some of the premiums to the cash index. Thank you, Brian. That's Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. 
To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on AgriTalk. Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Davis Michaels and I'm looking forward to this conversation right here. Chip I look Flory, to, I am as well. Always. I, I, always. I look forward to most of them, okay? Okay, uh, fair enough. But but this one, this mm-hmm. one's really got my interest up here okay. uh, it is with dr frank mitlerner he is an air quality specialist and professor at uc davis he's the director of the clear center there at uc davis as well and he is fresh back from dubai and the global climate gathering there that they call cop 28 uh dr mitlerner hey thank you so much for making time for us again this morning welcome back well good morning thank you for having me yeah I, you know I've got a lot of very specific questions or specific topics that I want to hit, but I'm going to start with something wide open. You're fresh back from Dubai. What did you learn? Well, I learned that you have to be very careful as to what you what you hear in much of the media. Uh, leading to this conference, the talk was, we all must eat less meat and animal yeah. source foods to protect the climate. Um, but in reality, the message over there was very different and much more nuanced, and I'm quite pleased. Okay. That was one of the very specific questions that I wanted to get to because when you were last on with us on December 5, the day before you left for, for Dubai, th- that th- that whole movement was gaining momentum. And I was going to ask how real was it on the ground when you got there? It doesn't sound like like there was much legs to that that argument when you got there. So the notion that we eat less uh, meat to protect the climate was not one reflected in the meeting. Um, I gave two talks there, yeah. and these talks were quite nuanced, showing what agriculture can do to further lower its environmental footprint and optimize its environmental performance. And my critics were the audience, um, and... Uh, Raising criticism as they normally do is saying we need to drastically shrink our consumption of animal source foods. Just one day later, the United Nations FAO that had been cited in the week leading on to this conference right. as saying that we should drastically reduce what we eat with respect to animal source foods came out with two reports. And one of them was called Pathways Toward Lower Emissions. And it was about animal agriculture and how it could reduce emissions. And 
What I have to tell you was that the report um, really used a common sense approach. And it was very clear that instead of looking for a silver bullet, there needs to be a silver buckshot hmm. of approaches to reduce emissions. And they all involve farmers and not so much consumers. In fact, the same report said that reducing animal source foods in our consumption would be the least of all effective methods to reduce the impact of food on climate. Wow. wow. You know, I, 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 I listened to the conversation that we had last, and, and one of the points that you were going to make is that the consumption lever is not the answer. The answer is on the production side and reducing it there. How did that point – how all of a sudden did that become the talking point? What well, was the trigger? Uh, it, it's interesting. The United Nations FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization, that is the leading body in the world on food and uh, and health and food and the environment and so on, they came out with these two reports, and these two reports were exactly contrary to what we keep hearing in the media, exactly mm-hmm. the opposite. They said, we need to work with farmers. We need to improve productivity. We need to improve efficiencies. And we should produce food in those places in the world that do it best, that do it most efficiently. And they also were very clear that modern agricultural production is the way to go, that we need to use technologies and techniques that optimize production and therefore limit environmental footprints, because that's the only way forward. Uh, I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw these reports because they were exactly 180 degree right. uh, opposite to um, to what I've heard uh, leading to the conference. Well, that would explain, I believe, why I didn't hear much of the methane story coming out in the coverage from COP28. It's because what what the what the official recommendations are don't fit with the narrative of the mainstream media. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There's no question about this. Um, I'm normally not bashing media because I know they have to do a difficult job and uh, they're not expert in these fields. But they came in with their guns blazing, saying this is what we all need to do and the UN says so, the FAO says this and that and the other. The UN said exactly the opposite of what was reported. Uh, leading on to this conference. And so I was very glad to have been there. And uh, I'm also, I have to say, amazed that after these reports came out, I didn't see a word of them in the yeah. in the media. I no. mean, uh, people like you should know about this. Why don't you? Because it wasn't reported. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, so but we don't really, we're not really dependent upon those. Um, we do our own reporting. I'm directing the Clear Center here at UC Davis, yeah. and half of the Clear Center is in science communications, and we are getting the word out. I think it's very important that our farmers know that they are a very important part of a climate solution and what those ways are that they can contribute. Um, they are the centerpiece of living up to the what we call 2050 challenge, which is a tripling of human population on this planet throughout our lifetimes. Our farmers are the ones that have do the unthinkable task of feeding all of us. And so we need to work with them and not against them. And I will yeah. uh, continue to use my life's efforts so, into uh, doing that. So all these, all this concern about um, you know, the, the plans in the EU to reduce cattle herds, um, 
be becoming the standard around the world that's that's far-fetched is is what i'm hearing well what the fao suggests is different what uh, from what we hear in uh, in european governments many european com- uh, governments have the green party involved and they simply want to um limit the consumption of meat and milk and eggs um yeah. and that's their that's their goal but that's not what most people want Right. In fact, in the United States, for example, in 98% of all refrigerators, you find meat, milk, and eggs. People want yeah. to consume those, yeah. and we need to continue doing it in the best way we know. Right. Okay. Okay. When when we talk about these big picture efforts, you've got to look at, at, at how it's going to be, you know, how the goals are going to be pursued. Is, is it a carrot? or a stick approach? What's favored? In my opinion, there's no doubt. Um, Every parent knows that the carrot works much better than the stick, and uh, good policymakers should know that too. In fact, there are some regions in the world, and I live in one, believe it or not, in California, we have been using the carrot approach Mm -hmm. of incentivizing farmers to reducing emissions, showing them how to do it, and then working with them to get it done. And uh, in the case of our dairy sector, our dairies have already achieved a third of what they are mandated to, but not by using the cane, but by using the carrots. So they're doing it um, voluntarily. Okay. And uh, and that's the way forward. That is how you get the job done. It shouldn't surprise any of us, but um, that's how you do it. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Um, feed additives, you continue to do the work. Get us up to speed on, on the work that you are doing there at UC Davis. And, and when you were on last, you we, we talked very briefly about the uh, putting some seaweed into rations and, and reducing methane output. What What is the status of that research? So there are multiple feed additives. Um, seaweed is one of them. Uh, there's another one called Bovair. Then there are essential oils and tenons and so forth. And they differ in how effective they are. But uh, within the next five years, we will have various feed additives that can reduce 10 to 40% or so of the methane that's belched out by these animals. Feed additives are one tool in our toolbox, but there are others. For example, methane is a heritable trait. You can breed for methane. Yeah. They are low and high producing uh, methane producing cows. And you can now identify which one is the low producing cow and use her for breeding. And that has a that is a permanent uh, reduction of methane, one through breeding, as I said. There are other techniques around animal manure and so forth. There will be, as I said, a silver buckshot approach of multiple right. solutions and not just one. Yep. Uh, what about and the the one that you you kind of surprised me with uh, in the, in our last conversation was it's not the feed yards. On the beef side of things, it's not the feed yards that are the greatest methane contributors. It's that cow-calf producer. It, what what are some of the solutions that you're looking at there? Yeah, so I just want to make it very clear that I will never finger point at one or the other um, okay. sector of, of an industry. But um, many people think it's the feedlots because they are large and there are many animals that are in close proximity. But what they feed is 80 to 90% concentrate and 10 to 20% roughage. But it's the roughage that when it's digested, 
uh, that's forming the methane. Right. And so under grazing conditions, what can be done? The one is breeding. The second yep. one is um, there are now capsules that you can actually put into the rumen of an animal and they slowly release an active ingredient that reduces methane that's belched mm. out. Um, then the New Zealanders are working on a methane vaccine. Just like the other vaccines you give to livestock in the future, there might be one that then reduces methane permanently. Um, wow. You know, there there will be toolboxes filled with tools and farmers um, eventually can pick what they uh, want to use. I tell you what, uh, Dr. Mint Lerner, I always enjoy our conversations. I learned so much. Thank you for making time for us. You are most welcome. I'm always happy to be on your show. Thank you. Excellent. That is Dr. Frank Mitlerner, air quality specialist and professor at the UC Davis, director of the Clear Center there at UC Davis. A vaccine for methane. I think maybe my wife would be To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. The truth is hard to come by these days unless you listen to AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Davis is here as well. I am. Davis, let's talk about what's going on in this hog market a little bit and the okay. pork market too. Okay. Uh, and the reason I want to do this is the Thursday, Friday last week, mm-hmm. it was pow, pow. Boy, big gains mm-hmm. in lean hog futures. Uh, made it, it feel and look like that market was trying to lock in a low. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of a sudden, there's some other influences out there, and, and I want to try to get to the bottom line of what's going on in there with Dave Delaney. He's with Partners for Production Agriculture, and Dave joins us right now. Dave, it's good to talk with you again. How are you? I'm good, Chip. Uh, good to be back and talk with you as well. All right. Uh, what did what did that late week rally last week tell you? Did it tell you anything? Yeah, Um it did. It told us that the funds are alive and well. And as we focus on the fundamental aspect of the hog market uh, from Friday to Friday. So let's go from the 8th of December to the 15th. Actually, we lost some money. Uh, cash was about, you know, just short of four dollars uh, lower. And the cutout was about a buck and a half lower with a little rounding error. So I, I think that late week rally chip was uh, certainly fun money movement. Uh, that that splashed over into even Monday uh, this week. Uh, now we're trading a little lower here uh, today, and uh, certainly we'll talk probably about the fundamentals here in a minute. Yeah. But uh, that that's certainly what we felt was the fund 
money movement. Okay. Well, that's got to be one clue as to whether or not this market is trying to put a low in. What else are you watching for? Well, I think as we look for the low in the market, we're, we're kind of falling back to, um, you know, we talk about normal, uh, seasonal uh, moves in, in, the, in the pork market. Uh, what is normal and, and generally what is seasonal? Uh, we're really focusing on the fundamentals here, Chip, as we move okay. forward. Uh, there's no doubt coming into this holiday season, as we do every year, we're going to back up some pigs. Uh, we're looking real close at the supply side of things and try to feel our way through the demand side as well, which is harder. But uh, we're looking for, you know, that that fundamental transition to happen sometime, uh, let's call it late January, as we hopefully get through this backlog of pigs that we're going to have here through the holiday season and maybe try and find a bottom fundamentally uh, in that time frame. So end of January, first part of February. Okay. End of Jan, first part of Feb. Uh, Have you seen much evidence or conversation about how the California consumers are reacting to Prop 12. I mean, we we know what what's happening with prices. Prices are up for those right. cuts that they really like, uh, loins in particular. Uh, how are they reacting? So it depends on on the region you're in there, Chip, in in, in California, and and certainly we know that uh, the Prop 12 um, is a law and uh, was made a law and and the citizens and the retailers of California are gonna have to certainly abide by it, uh, the retailers are, as well as the packers that are shipping pork to California to be resold, whether it's on the resale side or or food service or whatever. Um, what, what we're seeing is there's parts of California that has been a little tight um, and demand has still stayed good. Um, we, we've seen parts of California that there's plenty of product getting in. Um, we know that uh, California has told us come January 1, uh, it is going to be full swing. They are going to do auditing. And uh, what we're going to see is continued higher prices for the California consumer and, and less product getting into the state uh, due to not enough uh, what we feel uh, for the demand of, you know, the California consumer on pork is about 10 percent of the of the industry. Yeah. Uh, we don't have enough sows that are compliant, uh, which leads to market hogs going into the state. OK, so what kind what, what kind of an impact is that is that going to have on the overall market, Dave? Ultimately, I think what we're going to see, Chip, is that pork that that and and let's call it pre, um, you know, Prop 12, that yeah. pork that is not compliant to go into the state of California. We're going to have to find other avenues to get rid of that pork, whether it yeah. be through other domestic channels and states or the export market uh, to, to get rid of that pork. Yeah. You know, whenever we talk about have to find another way to get rid of pork. To me, that's, you know, it's kind of a nice way of saying prices are pro- on pork are probably going down. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then we got Massachusetts Q3 right co- coming up as well, right? Exactly. The, 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 I know there's some state uh, entities as well as some integrated systems that are, 
that are certainly trying to lobby against uh, Massachusetts uh, question three. But, you know, the big defining difference in Prop 12 and Q3 for me, Chip, is, you know, it's got transitory laws uh, within Q3 uh, that, you know, non-compliant pork is not even supposed to travel through that state. So uh, that's going to be a hard one uh, for for the pork production community to swallow as, you know, as that thing gets adopted and, and, and gets implemented, um, because, you know, we need to have every channel we can to get pork to every state here in the U.S. And and uh, Massachusetts is uh, going to throw up a barrier. And, and, and certainly that is going to not help our demand standpoint as well. Yeah. What are you thinking on profitability for the the hog producer out there, Dave? It it looks like it's if it if it if there's going to be profits to made in, to be made in 2024, you better grab them when you get the opportunity, right? Oh, exactly. Very good point, okay. Chip. We're seeing some alleviation, uh, you know, on the input side. We've seen the the, the corn come down. I, I think it's down again today, three or four. Uh, but you're exactly right. We've got profitability, uh, you know, June, July and August. Um, and, and with our production and we're going to have a hogs and pigs report come out again Friday here. Uh, yep. We're going to look at pig safe per litter and the productivity bump that we've seen that's going to affect us. So you're exactly right. Anytime yeah. we can pencil a profit, we need to be looking at hedging that off. Dave, let's stay in touch. Good stuff, man. Thank you. You bet. Anytime. Have a good holiday. You bet. Merry Christmas to you, too. That is Dave Delaney, Partners for Production Agriculture. Hey, thank you so much for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. We're going to have a conversation with Darren Fessler from Lakefront Futures. Tomorrow morning, Danielle Siquera, straight from Brazil, right here on Agritalk.